welcome to the Dietitian Dad Podcast. I am Michael Murphy, father of three, registered dietitian, and your dad when it comes to weight loss, nutrition, and health. No quick fixes or easy answers here, just evidence-based advice to help you permanently change your life. Hello, everybody. Episode number 23, Dietitian Dad Podcast. Welcome back. It's good to be back with you after two weeks. I hope you are enjoying all of the wonderful podcasts I'm putting out now that we're on episode 23, 2022. We're really hitting our stride this year. It's going to be really fun. I got a great episode for you today. Now, I haven't recorded this yet, obviously, but I'm thinking Aggressive Dietitian Dad will be coming out to play with you today. Um, That's kind of an inside joke in that over on TikTok, I've been called aggressive in some of my videos, and um, I think I'm going to embrace that moniker. But instead of saying aggressive, I think I'm going to say that I'm going to be lecturing you a little bit today, but it's for a good cause. I have compiled my personal list of the top 10 excuses that I hear over and over again when I work in the weight loss industry about why somebody struggles losing weight stops attempting to lose weight, or just overall doesn't even want to really start. So I'm going to give you those excuses, and then the fun part will be I will have a argument for why they will not work and how you can overcome them. So we got that coming up in just a few minutes, but if you listen to my podcast, you know that I like to have a quick topic in the beginning and then kind of to cover my main topic in the bulk of the podcast. So the quick topic today will be Staying on the subject of weight loss, I have four absolute things you should be trying if you're stuck with not losing weight. These four things I'm about to tell you may surprise you, they may not surprise you, and they may seem obvious to you, but I'm going to tell you these are, besides some other obvious things that will help with weight loss, I want you to consider practicing the following four things. Number one, slow down your eating. I know you've heard this before. It is now, it's slow eating time, everybody. It is time. It is time to take back control over your eating. Sit down, relax, take small bites. Get that slowness and embrace it. In researching some for this podcast, I found multiple studies that showed in subjects who ate slower, they ended up eating less amount of food at one sitting and throughout the day. So there are, there are studies that do show that eating slow actually has an effect on your ability to lose weight. How slow should you be eating? Listen, I don't know for sure. All I will tell you is if you eat a certain amount of a speed right now, I want you just to try your best to slow down. Add five minutes per meal. Add five minutes per eating item that you consume. If you eat a hard-boiled egg at 2 o'clock and you're normally done with it by 2.03, Try to eat it and be done with it by 2.10 in the afternoon. That's a perfect example of just extending those bites. Chew really, really well and try it for a few weeks and see if you notice a difference. Number two is very boring, but drink more water, drink more fluid. Yes, water is the best, but you can drink any other fluid that you would like. Water is so underrated, I can't even, it's, it's almost impossible for me to convey to you how drinking more water affects every part of your body. And of course, when it comes to weight loss, it can affect your appetite. Drinking before you eat, 
If you have weight loss surgery, you do have to wait a little bit, but still good to start drinking water. Anytime you feel a craving coming on, anytime you feel like you're you're mentally hungry, downing a glass of eight, an eight ounce glass of water is a good start. When I say downing it, I mean drinking it. You don't have to drink it fast though. We also need to get rid of these huge dinner plates unless it's a special occasion. You, most of us should be eating off a side plate, a side salad plate, the medium-sized plate, or smaller plate. They, they hold plenty of food, and they hold more food than we really need to be eating at one sitting. And I, I mean 80% of us. Some of us need more than that. But for the most part, get rid of the big dinner plate. Your eyes will think there's not enough food on the plate. You'll think you're not eating very much food when you use a smaller plate. You'll feel like, wow, this plate's full of food, and it'll, it'll trick your brain as well. So many, many reasons. Start using smaller plates if you aren't already doing so. And the last one is my favorite one. It's the concept of eating about 80% of your portion and getting 80% to that level of fullness and embracing the hunger. What I mean by that is we tend, to tw- we tend to want to eat enough food so that we won't be hungry for a while. But if you change that mindset, I'm not asking you to suffer with hunger, but what I would like you to try to do is eat up until the point of fullness, knowing you'll be hungry, let's say in two or three hours, embrace the feeling of hunger in that second to third hour after you eat, knowing you'll eat about an hour later. So you will get your body used to actually feeling that mild hunger and really getting ready to eat the next meal or snack. So many of us hate the feeling of hunger. It's not a good feeling to many of us. So I don't, again, don't want you to feel uh, uncomfortably hungry by any means. But if you find yourself trying to stave off any feelings of hunger at all and eating more food so that your hunger stays away longer... This is a perfect opportunity for you to change your mindset and to see how that works for you. Okay, if anything I just told you resonates with you, makes you get excited, give it a try. Commit to it, though. It's important you commit to it. And if you do commit to it for, let's say, a month, please let me know. I want to know if it works for you. I want to know the results. And, um, hey, I need a guest for a podcast. Maybe you can be on and tell me how you did. All right, let's turn our attention to common excuses. This is going to be a fun one. Um, I have 10 of them. There probably could be 30. But for the interest of time, I'm going to combine a few of them into, into one, um, one subject matter and kind of address each. And I know that you're hopefully going to find that a few of these are going to resonate with you. And I'm going to give you my solution. All right, let's go. We got our first And second, excuses. They're kind of similar, but they have to do with how we feel about food. My very common thing I see is someone who self-proclaims themselves to be a sugar addict. And another very common one I see as well is somebody who says that they're an emotional eater. When they tell me this, it almost disarms me from being able to help them because they just define themselves. And the way they say it's typically... Like, throw their hands up in the air, I'm sorry, I'm a sugar addict, I'm sorry, I'm an emotional eater, there's nothing I can do about it. I cannot help it if I eat sugar, and I cannot help it if I eat when I'm not hungry to soothe my emotions. So in a way, I'm taken aback when I hear this because I feel like, okay, well I guess I can't say anything 
because this person has already determined that they cannot change and they've pinned themselves in a corner by defining themselves that way. But you know what? I'm up for that challenge. And when I, when I come at them with, okay, fine, you, you, you say you're an emotional eater. Maybe you see a therapist who defines you as an, emotion, an emotional eater. But here's the thing. All of us are emotional eaters. Um, some are um, worse off than others, for sure. But all of us eat food for some type of emotion, um, either daily or weekly. So it's just the level of the emotions, how they're tied into the food and how much you're able to deal with them when it comes to uh, options outside of food. And the same rule applies to sugar. Now, not everybody considers themselves a sugar addict. In fact, some people don't even like sugar. They don't need it. They don't feel that rush when they eat something sweet, which, good or bad, they don't have to worry about it. But the ones who do proclaim themselves sugar addicts are usually the worst because they they absolutely feel like they're helpless and powerless to stop it. So my answer to the self-proclaimed sugar addicts and emotional eaters is going to be along the lines of, okay, great, you know yourself, but does that mean that's who you're going to be for the rest of your life? No, it absolutely does not mean that. And there will be levels to where you can overcome those thoughts. But once you say it to yourself over and over again, your brain will believe it. And you, you will have a harder time changing. So you have to open up your, your thought process to the fact that you don't need sugar to soothe. You don't need food to soothe those emotions. There are ways out. And you may not be able to find those ways out on your own. And that's where therapy and seeing a psychologist can absolutely help you, which I do encourage you to do. But let's just say, I don't know, for whatever reason, financially it's hard to see a therapist and you have to kind of do this on your own. This is where for sugar addicts, we have to figure out exactly how a person feels when they eat sugar. I mean, literally get down and dirty and define how you feel when you eat something like a candy bar. Do you feel joy? Do you feel less depressed? Does it give you a high? And what we have to find out is how much sugar a person needs to feel that way. And probably it's a lot less than they think. Or can we replace that concentrated sugar with something like fruit that has more fiber in it and less calories in it? Or can we eat a protein before we eat the sugar to then lessen how much sugar the person eats? There's so many strategies we can do. The emotional eater, a little bit different because that could be a lot of different foods. But we also have to get deep down and dirty into the why. What is the food giving that person that they need? And how can that person replace that food with another habit that doesn't have to do with caloric intake and hurt their weight to then feel that that, that emotion being, being um, filled with another avenue. Okay, the third one, the no time excuse. The person that has no time to, let's say, exercise, to plan what they're going to eat. The person that is so busy that they go to fast food for lunch, they just, they run out to get something for dinner because they have to get home and take the kids to the soccer, and they just, they just, no time, no time, no time. It's a, it's a constant battle. And then when they finally have time, let's say a day off, they're so exhausted that they don't want to put their free time into, you know, making a dinner, planning a meal. But here's the thing. Everybody has a different life, and, and there are absolutely times when a person truly doesn't have the, the free time. A person that works 12 to 14 hours a day, sure, that could be understood. But we all know the truth. We know the truth is if a person was able to sit down and balance their time spreadsheet out and figure out how much time they need to exercise and how much time they need to actually 
shop for food, make things that are simple, make things that are quick, almost probably 80% of the time, we find that that person absolutely has the time to do these things. If they train themselves and learn and, and get skilled at it, and that's where a little bit of effort has to be put in for the first, I don't know, six months, maybe even a year, to really redefine how a person spends their time on themselves to make sure that they empower themselves and give, them, give themselves the tools to be able to lose weight. And that's the key. But the mo- even more important key than that is what is time and how, you know, what, what defines how we spend our time? Should we be spending our precious hours uh, slaving away at a job? Sure, because we need to make money, but there's only so many hours in a lifetime. And if we're spending way too much of those not on our health, our wellness, then there's something missing there. And we have to find a way to readjust how we spend our time. I actually just saw a patient today who works 12 hours, six days a week. And getting to talking to her specifically, we, we, def, we uh, you know, getting deeper into the conversation, her spouse works, um, her spouse even encourages her not to work as much. She works from home. She, she gets off around five, has dinner, goes right back to work. And it, is a, it was affecting her health. She had to go on blood pressure medication. So thinking about it more, in her case, she, was, she could have um, either quit the job, found another job, done something about it. But some, somehow in her mind, it wasn't an option. She was sticking to the commitment she made to her job and how many, how many hours, by the way, salaried hours, so most of it was free hours, that she had to work. And I understand, not everybody can quit their job. In fact, most people cannot quit their job. So we have to work around that job. Or possibly if the skill is there to find another position that doesn't you know, require you to work 12 hours and you know, instead of a normal amount of time, like let's say eight hours a day. Okay, another common excuse I get is the person that just cannot, ex- they, they say they cannot exercise. They have a bum knee, a bum hip, a bum shoulder, a bad back, some type of limitation. Now, I just talked about the no time issue, and that kind of ties in. They also use the excuse they don't have time to exercise. They don't have time to go to the gym. They don't have time. So those two kind of tie in together. But not being able to exercise. Now, there are certain exceptions, let's say 10%, who truly can't move their body to the point where they're out of breath. The back is a big issue. If your back hurts, it's very hard to do a lot of things. Maybe swim. But if the lower body has pain, then you have the upper body. And if the upper body has pain, you have the lower body. These are parts of your body. They're halves of your body that you can find exercises to do to really get you out of breath and really get you that good cardio or strength training that you need. There's always an answer. Either you seek it out on your own or you find a professional that can help you. But to use the excuse of I just can't do it because of, let's say, my knee hurts, that's not going to fly. We've got to make sure that you get that body moving and get that heart rate elevation so you can keep the cardio and the heart strong. And then, of course, hopefully you'll see some weight loss from doing so. Um, and then the no time, no exercise, no time. I mean, we got to, we just have to find ways to get around that, like, like I was talking about earlier. Okay, here's another good one. My family only likes junk food. So when I start making healthier dishes, my family complains. They don't like it. They don't eat it. And then they just, you know, they eat whatever they want to. I see this a lot. Okay, so what do we do about this? This is a very easy solution. If you are the prime cook in the family, you are in charge of the meals. Therefore, you make what you think is a good quality 
are good quality dinners for you and your family. If the family members don't like it, they are free to go into the refrigerator, take out something that they like instead, or go out and order food, which that's that depends on how much is coming out of your pocket for that um, in terms of spending more money on, on food to feed everybody. Um, but I would think most family members are open to negotiation. For instance, if you go to Pinterest and you have them pick out what recipes that they think look good that are considered a little bit lower calorie, then they, they picked it out, therefore they really can't complain when you make it for them. That's always a nice compromise, especially when their kids are younger. Um, you know, teenagers, that's a little bit different. Most teenagers want to eat out. Not all of them, but, but most. So the, the family eating whatever they want to eat is, at the end of the day, they're going to eat whatever they want to eat, and you have to take charge over what you eat. Okay, number, five, uh, number, number six we're on. Wanting to snack at night, like after dinner. Big one. The night snacking, ooh, that's a killer. It's so hard because the long day is over. The food is a reward. The snacking feels good at night when you're sitting around. The brain gets used to eating at night. This is, a, this is one of the toughest ones to counsel and to help my clients overcome. But some of the things I look at is what's going on at that time. Let's say 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. Is it just lazy time? Is it a time when um, you could be exercising, for instance? Most people don't like to exercise at nighttime. However, if they're going to consume 500 calories or they're going to exercise, I have convinced some people I've worked with to adopt a nighttime exercise routine. When they do that and their, their exercise routine is over, guess what? They come home or they're already home and they're sweaty and tired. They either take a shower and they go right to bed and they don't even eat. And if they do, it's a small amount. And the same foods they craved when they wake at night, they don't crave in the morning time. So it's, it's, it's not the best thing to do if you don't like to exercise at night. But guess what? It's the lesser of two evils, meaning, hey, at least you're going to avoid getting into some trouble and get your exercise over with at nighttime. So it's not a bad idea. The other option is to sleep, go to bed a little bit earlier. Some people stay up too late, and therefore they get in some trouble with their eating. So I always, I, I have convinced some people to, instead of going to bed at 11 or 12 at night, to go to bed at 9 or 10, get up earlier. Again, the same foods they craved at night, they don't crave when they wake up at 6 in the morning. There's other strategies, such as just drinking a protein shake every night. That usually calms the, the gut a little bit and takes the edge off of craving so if you, you know, you, you drink a 120 calorie protein shake instead of eating a 400 or 500 calorie snack. Next up is my, one of my favorites, the I'm hungry all the time excuse. All the time. That's the key here. When we say we're hungry all the time, guess what? Our subconscious brain believes we're hungry all of the time. But, but every time I challenge somebody on that, they always relent and they say, no, I'm not hungry all of the time. I'm not hungry from... The time I wake up in the morning to the time I go to bed, of course you're not. Nobody is, really. But all the time may feel like all day. So when we break it down to when are you truly hungry, we really get to the bottom of it in terms of addressing the times of day when the hunger's there and then going with that and trying to eat around those times. The next one is the excuse of somebody who has changed so many habits so quickly, you know, going on a crash diet or an extreme like let's say a, a very low-carb diet, they always they say, that well, I always fall back. I always, I always stop doing what I'm doing. I logged my diet every day for three weeks. I went low-carb, and then boom, I'm back to, to where I started again. This is one of the biggest issues with weight regain because somebody goes so extreme 
that they lose so fast and then they just can't sustain that. And we have to take a step back and practice tons of patience when it comes to weight loss and make very small steps, very, very small changes that they're almost unnoticeable, just a tad bit. And if you can do that, this gets a little complicated because you have to sit down and kind of go over what you're going to do. But if you can find that that solution, you won't go back because you, you made such such slow, uh, gradual changes that they just seem they seem seamless and natural in your life. So this is a big one. If you follow me this long on the podcast and you're still with me, I hope you heard I hope you heard this because this is going to be crucial. Now, working with a dietitian like myself or, or some pro, uh, professional is good here because we can really get you to focus on what those habits are. Okay, another one I get a lot. It's this isn't too bad, but but it's. It's the person that's just sick of protein shakes, <laughs> or they're sick of chicken. They're just sick of the, the same old, boring protein options that we all struggle with. Chicken, you know, um, eggs, you can say steak if you want to, you can say pork. I mean, there, at the end of the day, there are not hundreds of protein options, so we tend to eat the same, hopefully preparing them differently, and that's the key here. You can make chicken one million different ways. And if you find 10 chicken recipes, then it's a different dish. Even though it's all chicken, there are flavors that are in the chicken are going to be different. And that's why I love Pinterest for that. you got to get on Pinterest if you're not because you can find brand new recipes on your phone every day of the week for chicken. You then can do the same thing for any protein that you like, any type of fish you like, shrimp. You can find a recipe for a vegetarian dish, a bean dish, a turkey chili. You can even have a new type of enchilada dinner that you've never thought of. Um, I mean, the, the, the options are million, in the millions here. So there's in this day and age, there really is never a chance to be bored. You can air fry. You can crock pot cook. You can bake. You can grill. The, you know, again, so having those options takes away that boredom excuse. Now, granted, protein shakes, okay, I'll give you that. <laughs> Unless you make them really crazy with really weird ingredients they can get a little bit boring, but treat a protein shake like drinking your medicine if you do it every day. Okay, next up is the unsupportive spouse or loved one. So if you go on a weight loss journey after, let's say, 10 years of marriage, your partner, they didn't marry you as the person that exercised every day or the person that ate really healthy maybe. And maybe they don't do that. So when you change it can be a little bit difficult to bring your partner along with you because they are not in the same mindset as you. If you're dating and you're already engaging in healthy, you know, exercising every day, going to the gym, and you, you, know, you end up marrying that person, of course, you already started off as like your gym partner you marry or the person that you, you, you plan your meals with. Much, much easier to do that. But let's go with you married. You've been married for a while and, and the spouse isn't really changing. This is where it becomes critical, where you engage in your behaviors to a, to a certain extent, meaning you don't want to drift too far away from your partner if they're not ready to change with you, and you can't make them feel bad if they're not. So you're kind of alone in this. You find your pockets of time to be able to take care of yourself, and you kind of hope by nudging a little bit, your partner will come with you and slowly join with you, because that's key, that's key in a marriage. You, you, don't want to, you don't want to separate too much and drift away. And the last excuse is not having enough money to eat healthy. And I'm here to say that that there are plenty of cheap protein options 
and fruits and vegetables. So don't let money be the reason why you cannot afford to eat healthy. If you want any help with that, just reach out to me. I'll be happy to help you there. At dietitian underscore dad on TikTok and Instagram. Reach out to me anytime. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening. I hope you got something out of this podcast. Got a little bit of a lecture, but for the most part, it was fun for me. So we'll see you next time. Thanks. Follow me on Instagram and TikTok at dietitian underscore dad while you wait for the next episode to drop. And remember, permanent changes lead to permanent results.